Welcome once again to Straight Talk, your intermittent podcast of political thought. I'm Scott Wyant, and joining me today is going to be Jared Henderson. He's running for governor of Arkansas. Jared went to the University of Arkansas, where he graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's degree in computer science and physics, and then later went to Harvard Business School, where he got a master's in business administration. While there, he simultaneously studied under a full scholarship at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, where he earned a second master's degree in public administration. He's done a lot of work in the public sector and in the private sector, and for six years his career was focused on public education as the executive director and senior vice president of the national nonprofit Teach for America. I spoke with Jared on March the 14th, and here's my interview. Well, Jared Henderson, I want to thank you for, for speaking with me tonight. You bet. Happy to, happy to visit with you. So tell me, how has it been campaigning in Arkansas? <laughs> so far, so good. I, um, I've been to, I think, 31 counties so far just in these first few months. Just met people in every different corner of the state. And, you know, I, I really enjoy it. Almost everyone you meet, uh, regardless of where they lean politically, is really thoughtful you know they care a lot about their families in the future um and uh they, they want to see us keep what's going well and improve on the things that are not it's it's energizing and inspiring to, to visit with them so what issues are you hearing are important to the voters you know everyone of course it, it's not surprising you know wants their schools to be strong you know i think teachers in particular are just feeling a lot of strain and and want to be heard you know, of course, everyone uh, wants either to, to have a good, well-paying job or to get one. You know, in our rural communities, you're hearing stuff about health care, particularly, you know, there are the hospitals uh, that are facing uh, looming or proposed Medicaid cuts. You know, and, and then in almost every part of the state, you have people that are concerned about the rising costs of, of health insurance, even if they're healthy. And so those are issues that I think I, I hear just about anywhere, you know, and then there are other issues that are a little bit more location specific. Your background's pretty unique for an Arkansas politician. Well, it's quite a mix. You know, I, uh, I got two uh, science degrees in college, physics and computer science, and I worked for a bit at the very beginning of my career for NASA. Since that time, I've done some work in the private sector uh, and also in state and local government as a, as a strategy consultant. Uh, and in recent years, last six years, I've been full-time in, in public education, recruiting and training and retaining teachers in the Delta and in South Arkansas. But, but quite a bit of science way back there, yes. <laughs> well, I noticed on your bio it said NASA scientist, and I was like, wow, we have yeah. an actual rocket scientist running for government. <laughs> I, I spent a couple of summers with NASA. I, I did some work for them right before and right after I left college. I did some uh, research with an astrophysicist at Goddard Space Flight Center. Um, and I also, uh, later, my second uh, tour at NASA was an operations manager. I helped actually execute and, and operate uh, one of NASA's best undergraduate and graduate research programs. So I helped them, them run the day-to-day -day of that. It was a privilege, a lot of fun. Well, that's outstanding. I bet that was fun. It was incredible. You know, I got to see a space shuttle take off, all, all sorts of things that I'll never forget. So with your with your background in education, what do you feel Arkansas is doing right, and what do you think Arkansas is doing wrong in this public education? Yeah. I think in terms of what we're doing right, I mean, I I think that 
Arkansans generally uh, very much understand the importance of education. I think that they want uh, an education that is strong. It's something that comes up over and over again. When I talk to voters, it's also something through my work with, you know, the, an organization called Ford Arkansas that I've seen firsthand. I've seen stakeholders and people from, you know, directly in education. I've seen people from the nonprofit community, from the business community come together to work to try to improve our education system. And I just think that that sense of priority is, is great uh, and important. And it's not something that every state necessarily has. And so it really is a strength of ours. I think that, you know, what I want to bring into this campaign that I think is missing is this. I, you know, if we're going to build a, an excellent 21st century education system for kids, for all kids in this state, we've got to recognize that our teaching workforce, our teaching professionals are the linchpin of the entire thing. You know, uh, if we can make Arkansas one of the best places in the country to be a teacher, if we can make the profession more attractive more respected, more sustainable. We have a fighting shot at building an excellent education system. If we don't get that part right, nothing else will really matter a ton. We can put technology in our classrooms. We can build, you know, palatial, wonderful schools and high schools, and learning will not improve, or at least not improve more than marginally. Uh, you know, we've had a 56% drop in the number of people entering uh, teacher training program since 2009. And I don't know about you, but that, that fact terrifies me. We need to take that on squarely, understand why that's the case, and we need to dedicate ourselves uh, over the next decade or more, if necessary, to doing something about it. Yeah, indeed. We've got to have good people educating our children, I believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which I've always felt that the public school teachers should be the, the highest paid state employees. Well, unless you're a football <laughs> coach, that... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this over and over again, and I believe it. I think they're certainly our most important uh, employees. They, they really are. I mean, over the long term, I don't think any single profession does more to determine uh, the welfare of our, of our state and, and, and our country, frankly. You know, um, and, and, you know, teaching is being an effective educator that really helps kids reach their potential. It is, it is a hard, hard job. You know, I think that a lot of people that haven't taught directly, sometimes it's easy to perceive that teaching is easier than it is because we've all spent at least 12 years in a classroom watching what teachers do, you know. But that job doesn't begin at 8 in the morning. It sure as heck doesn't end at 3.30 in the afternoon. You know, great educators are working almost constantly throughout the year, certainly during the summers that some people think they have off. It is it is a demanding job that takes a really talented uh, human being to do well. Something that is kind of on the periphery of education, and, and I feel like it, it greatly impacts education, especially, mm-hmm. especially you know, individualized education. Uh, mm-hmm. Arkansas has got a lot of rural area, and mm-hmm. in my view, you know, a, a good broadband Internet connection can mean a world of difference as far as as educating a person. Yep. And people in in rural counties, in rural areas of the state are sorely lacking in in high quality internet access. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's anything that the state should do or could do to uh, improve uh, rural broadband access? We can and we should. You know, I mean this is just this is uh 
there's no rocket science to figuring this out. There's some expense, but I think, I think it's worth it. And frankly, I think our citizens are owed it. I mean, in 2018, I think having communities and particularly schools that don't have access to broadband, that's like them not having access to, to roads or electricity. I, I really think that in, you know, we're well into the 21st century. You've got to have that fundamental piece of infrastructure in order to have a fair shot uh, to compete uh, and to provide the basic minimum that I think every kid growing up in the United States of America ought to be guaranteed. So we can and we should make it a priority and get it done. Going back to to specifically education, do you think the way that we finance our education system is correct? Because and, and specifically, I mean, you know, right now the majority of, of all the monies going to education come from property taxes. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you know, if you live in a well-to-do area, you're going to have great schools. You're going to have well-paid yep. teachers. If you live in a depressed area, well, then your your schools are not they're not even going to come up to the standards, and the teachers are yep. are it's going to be hard to get good teachers in there because they're not going to have the money to pay for anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, do you think do you think we're doing something wrong there? I think if we could start with a blank slate tomorrow, we'd probably do things quite differently, you know. But we've we've arrived at where we are over decades, if not you know more than a century of of just history. You know, obviously education and one room schoolhouses were where this all began. You know, uh, in the earlier days of the republic, and uh, and we're still dealing with that. You know, I think that we have made quite a bit of progress uh, using both state and federal money to at least address some big chunk of the disparity that exists for the reasons that you mentioned, you know, uh, for, uh, you know, I think though that one of our biggest opportunities is understanding how these additional, this, this equity funding, the, you know, these state and local funds that, that supplement, uh, places with lower property tax bases. I think that, I think the more realistic and practical opportunity is to make sure that districts have both, knowledge of best practices and the freedom to actually use those dollars to the highest impact, you know, cause I'm about as, as aggressive of an advocate of public education as you will ever talk to. I think that I would not hesitate for a moment to fight and pound the table for more spending on anything that we had decent evidence would result in more student learning. Having said all that, I'm also, you know, I'm not a career politician. I'm not coming with any dogma from the left or the right. Um, and I think we also have to acknowledge that we've thrown a lot of extra money at education uh, in the last few decades in the United States, and we've seen a limited return. And so we need to make sure that districts understand and are equipped with the knowledge and the tools to spend the money that they get wisely. Um, and where we absolutely see a need to give more, that will that we have even reasonable levels of confidence will result in more student learning or greater you know, teacher retention, uh, we should invest it. I see a lot of money being spent on education going to private schools and for-profit yep. charter schools. And frankly, you know, that I, I really hate seeing public monies go to private institutions in that manner. And it, yep. it, it ends up being more of a subsidy for, for rich people to send their kids to private school. Yeah. That's just my well, opinion. Well, you know, it's, it's, in, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, as, you, as you're probably aware, we're right in the middle of a, of a special session of our state legislature right now. 
And from what I understand tomorrow, it's very likely that uh, a new proposal will be passed into law for the governor's signature that allows people to use you know, 529 education plans, tax dollars, basically, uh, to subsidize private schools. And I, I, you know, I don't agree with that either. I, I don't. I mean, you know, if, a, if, a, if a family you know, wants to send their, their, their child to a private school, that's their right. But uh, I, don't, I don't believe we should use tax dollars for that. Um, and uh, certainly the way Arkansas is going about it right now, we're not even allowing for sufficient debate to be had. Uh, this is just this is just being decided in a in a three day long special session. That just feels wrong, both the idea and the process to me. Yeah, it seems awful awful rushed and, and shoved through there, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and for no, for no clear reason. It, it, it's it's completely arbitrary as far as I'm concerned. I haven't even heard anyone argue why this is necessary and urgent now in a special session. Should you uh, get the governor's seat? Is that something that you would seek to undo or uh, modify? I, you somewhat? know, I think I I think so. Like I said, it is. Uh, it, I think it's just taking us in the wrong direction. Uh, you know, the fundamental. And you know, I, like I said, I unapologetically support public education. And I think that's where we should have our focus. We should we should make that the best system in the world. Um, you know, what's interesting to me about it is even in in private schools. Uh, you know, eventually, you know, the the proponents of private schools. I think the the looming teacher shortage, the the erosion of the profession, uh, it's going to end up affecting private schools too. And when you look at, especially in rural areas where they have private schools, there's no evidence at all that those schools perform any better than the local public schools. Um, and so folks that are, that are, that are eroding our, our public schools to try to bolster private schools are actually, in my opinion, nine times out of ten, not even, not even helping themselves, uh, which is only one of the many reasons I think it's a bad idea. If you remember back in 2000 when we had the problem with hanging chads in our elections, in 2001, Congress, they had a fairly good idea. I thought, you know, as far as updating, you know, and computerizing our, our voting system, even though the, mm-hmm. way, the way it wound up could have been a lot better. But since that time, there hasn't been a whole lot of funding to, to modernize the, the voting systems that we're using. So therefore, in the majority of counties that will be voting starting in May, will be voting on machines that can be 10 years old or older. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those machines are in such disrepair that our actual inventory of, of working machines is, is shrinking every year. To see, it was to 2014, I think, Arkadelphia, or not Arkadelphia, Lone Oak, actually had to close some early voting locations because, you know, some of their, the voting machines, they wouldn't even boot up. So my, my question is, how can Arkansas fix its voting system? You know, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, the, the old, the, yeah. these older machines, they're, they've, they're never going to get updated. And the older hardware is, has known security flaws. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something radical and that may really surprise you. I'm probably gonna go in a totally different direction than you think. All right, let's I think it. we ought to be I, we ought to be using a paper system. Amen. There I agree just, with you. There are simply too many risks for tampering in our democracy. We know for a fact that the Russians have tried it on multiple levels. Uh, you, you know, you can't get the United States Congress to agree that. The two parties do agree that water is wet, but 
only three members total between the House of Representatives and the Senate last year voted in agreement that Russia has been and is continuing to try to meddle in our elections, whether it is them now or some other uh, nation or rogue state or whatever in this fall or 10 years from now, it is going to happen again and again. And as someone who has a background in computer science, I can tell you we will never be able to completely protect ourselves from that. Uh, let's just use what we know works. It may take us a little bit longer. We may need some more volunteer hours to count those polls, but so be it if it safeguards the integrity of our elections. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, there, there hasn't been a better technology for voting than pen and paper invented in my view. Yep, that's exactly where I would go. I always thought it was a bad idea, especially when you can't can't do an audit on yeah on the well, systems. Well, and yeah, now now I like, to that point, like you know, if there's systems that immediately spit out a paper receipt that the voter can verify and turn in, great, that's fine. I thought in my in my view, that's good enough. Uh, but but we need a a a complete paper trail for all of our elections. Period, in my opinion. The problem with that though is is by law, you know, that paper receipt. Is, is nothing. It that's not your actual vote of record. You know, it's yeah, well, then it's, we it's what's that. in the memory card. That's that's what actually counts. And yeah, now that's well, then 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 the paper's effectively no good. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because yeah, I've been waiting for some of this. I was going to ask you about if you had any concerns about in foreign influence in our election, and, and it sounds like you do. Well, yeah, and, and even, I mean, this is, in my, in my opinion, this is an issue right in Vote Murphy's Law. What can happen will happen, and I don't, I don't know precisely what happened in 2016. I don't know what will happen in 2018, but I know over the next 50 years, I'd bet you anything that someone at some point will try and find some sort of way to be somewhat successful influencing some of our elections, and we need to just cut off their entire ability, entire ability to do it. Well, you know, we know from history that, you know, computer attacks never never get any less. They all they only increase. Yeah. They only get better. Yep. And you absolutely. Know, and when we're <laughs> when we're using ten year old equipment, I mean, my yeah. my goodness, you can't yeah. ask well, for. Well, and 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 you know, the, we are still. And I, I love our democracy. I'm so proud of it. But let's get real. You know, the United States government, uh, its basic structure, the House of Representatives was designed in the. 1770s, 1780s. It is a 200 some odd year old institution trying to solve, you know, 21st century technological problems. It's just, it's not going to happen. So let's just, let's just protect ourselves in the simplest way we can. Well, it's not going to happen with 70 year olds sitting up there making, uh, making these decisions. I tell you that. Yeah. (laughs) But hopefully we can get some young, young blood in the system this year and and just keep keep doing that. Let me ask you a a quick question on health care. The Arkansas legislature has been tinkering around the edges again on Medicaid. Yeah, well, I mean, I we've got to protect Medicaid expansion. This is, you know, and, and I, you know, I believe that in the richest country in the history of the world, like we should, everyone should have access to to affordable health care insurance and treatment. Um, and and for me, that's good enough reason to to defend it. You know, but for folks that don't believe that, we need to we need to name the fact and recognize that. As Medicaid is threatened, the financial viability, the survival of a lot of our rural hospitals is is going to be put in jeopardy. And you know, I think that that folks deserve to live within decent driving distance of a of a good health facility. Um, and if we 
you know, you talked about tinkering on the edges. I, I tell you what, the, the waiver that, the, you know, the governor has requested from the federal government to reduce the income eligibility for Medicaid, I don't think that's tinkering on the edges at all. I think that's a pretty big cut. And I don't, I have not seen or heard a serious analysis that gives me confidence that that's not really going to jeopardize uh, some of our hospitals. Yeah, not only that, nursing homes too. That's the number yep, one right. provider for nursing home care. Right, right, and, and, and you know, in our our uh, our, our rural hospitals, uh, they're important for so many obvious reasons. But most people don't realize, in in a lot of our counties, our rural hospital is our single best source of well-paying jobs. Yeah, too. You know, so so you know, you're 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 hurting the job market. You're you're hurting the tax base. You're hurting all all sorts of things when you when you scale this back. We know it's a it's a bipartisan issue because it was a a Republican legislature and a Democratic governor that that got the Medicaid expansion in Arkansas. So it's not yep. like it's not like the legislature should have any hangups about it. It shouldn't. But you know, we I don't know. I over the last eight or nine years, we've just seen more and more just categorical backlash against government spending period uh from more and more people you know and and i i don't know you know we uh it, it arkansas works made it through this fiscal session this time which is great but it it it, it took a fight <laughs> you know i uh from the folks that i know in little rock that are that are involved in the legislative process it was not a given that it was going to pass this time you know through this fiscal session it did thankfully but um there's there's not a lot of evidence that that fight is not going to going to persist and it might even get tougher uh depending upon the results of the election this fall yeah indeed this is a question i've been asking everybody and it, it may seem flippant but i, I kind of think it's an important question how will you know if you've been a success what, what's your criteria for success will i be able to look my son in the eye when he's older and be proud of what i tell him you know, either the thoughts, the fights that I fought, or the victories that I won, or the or the the things that I did that weren't successful, or the right thing to do. To me, that's the simple criteria. Can I can I tell my son one day that I did everything that I ethically could to try to increase more opportunity and more justice for more people? It's really that simple. If I can if I can tell him the story of my work and legitimately be proud, or at least feel like I really did it the best I could, I think, I think that's, that's what I'm shooting for. Are you enjoying yourself? Are you having fun? I am, honestly, you know, I, I, I don't enjoy raising money, but I think few politicians do, you know, but other than that, it's tiring, but it's, it's, it's pretty fun. And, you know, nine out of 10 people I meet at least, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat or, or, or neither, you know, they, they make me feel better about the world. Uh, most people are pretty good folks, and they're they're really thoughtful when you take the time to meet them and really listen to what's on their mind. We've touched on several several items here. Is there anything that you feel like we haven't spoken of that you would you would like to to say something about? Uh, you know, I um, I think the one thing I would say I I have I've never you know I'll be forty years old later this year, so a reasonably young man as far as political candidates go, but old enough to where I've seen some things and done some things, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm also a student of history and I just, I've never in my life seen the public's trust in our institutions lower 
on both sides of the aisle. I've never in my life seen more people more dissatisfied at both the tone and the substance of our politics in this country. And that is true on folks on the left, of course, but also on the right. The, the people that I know that are that identify as strong conservatives or Republicans, even folks that may have voted for our current president of the United States, like if you get them in a room where there's no judgment, there's just honest, candid conversation, people are not happy with the way things are going and the way our government, again, in tone and substance is conducting itself. And I, I would just ask people, this is this. There's so many things that are pushing us to check out, and, and but this is precisely the time we've got to check in and lean in. And we need people to engage each other in conversations at the dinner table and at lunch and at the water cooler about this. We need people to find candidates they believe in. We need them to volunteer. We need them to donate money. We need them to run themselves. Like This democracy is only going to be as good as we make it, uh, especially in the moments where it seems the least attractive. And so I would just ask people just play a role. There will be candidates this year that are worth their vote. I hope people consider me one of those, but even if they don't, keep paying attention. There are new people running this year that bring, I think, what our founders intended. They bring real-world experience. They bring real, genuine, earnest desire to achieve something for the greater good. People are going to have good options this year, but they got to pay attention to notice them. This has to be, it has to be the year that the the Democrats get back on their feet in this state. Doesn't mean we have to win everything. Doesn't mean I have to win. Doesn't mean, certainly doesn't mean we have to take back the state legislature, but we've got to make some real progress. We've got to rebuild some infrastructure. We've got to reintroduce ourselves to thousands of voters that haven't met a good Democrat in, the, in a number of years. And we've got to leave with, you know, systems, a foundation, and some renewed confidence that we can build on in 2020 and 2022. If we don't leave this year with that, it's going to be a long, long time before we come back. If we can leave this year even feeling some real but modest momentum, uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll be stronger in 2020 and we'll, we'll have a, a, a real shot in 2022. I believe that. So, you know, I'm running to win, but I'm also trying to run a campaign in tone and substance and an organization that, that will be useful to the party and the cause, whether or not I beat Asa in November. And the last question I have is, where can people go to find out more about you, about your campaign, uh, to get involved, uh, and how how can they contribute to your campaign? I'm glad you asked. Uh, The the easiest way is to check out our website, which is www.jared, J-A-R-E-D, for Arkansas, F-O-R, and then Arkansas spelled out, so jaredforarkansas.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, Jared Henderson for governor. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd encourage people to, to keep an eye on both. Uh, there's, there's easy ways to sign up to volunteer, to contribute money, just to keep tabs on what we're up to. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd ask people to check it out and do, uh, if they like what they see to, to spread the word. Well, Jared Henderson, I want to thank you very much for agreeing to speak with me tonight. That was a pleasure. Thank you for the time. All right. Good deal. All right. Well, that was my interview with Jared Henderson. You know the deal from here. Share the program, comment, but most of all, remember May the 22nd is primary day. Get out and vote and bring a friend. Every time I hear the people cry, don't you know that